0: This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Chris Burnham, artist of Batman Incorporated and Officer Down. You're listening to the Two Headed Nerd podcast with Joe, Matt, and no one else.
1: There you go. Sort of break it, break it down like good.
0: Welcome to episode 91 of THN, we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 21st, a very special post-Thanksgiving episode. My name is Matt Baum, that's at Matt Baumstein in the Twitter, and when I'm not cursing those jerks at Netflix for taking down all the Instant Watch Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes and ruining my annual MST3K Turkey Day celebration...
1: I'm appraising comics and writing the comic book speculator blog for wordpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not refusing to tell my co-host the name of the apartment complex I live in, I'm the artist of Good Plus and the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. You were like, what do you need to know for? It's not important. When your friend asks,
0: you just tell him. This week, you'll hear reviews. You don't
1: need to know where I live.
0: (laughs) I'll invite you over when it's your time. This week, you'll hear reviews of Avengers number 34 and clone number one. And then we'll review 10 more comics faster than the internet layman can rush past protesters into a Walmart on Afro-American Friday during the ludicrous speed (laughs) round. After that, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Magic Lightning will help us reanimate the corpse of our Thanksgiving dinner, and we'll take a break from roping and riding to discuss Doug Wildey's Rio as a part of this month's... Take a look, it's in a book segment, and of course, we're going to be reading your answers to the question of the week the whole damn time. But before we get to all the leftover turkey and giblet gravy sandwiches, let's take a moment to tell our listeners what we're thankful for this year.
1: Joe Patrick, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my wife, Michelle, and the baby Jesus. And
0: I'm thankful for doom metal and quality weed. Happy Thanksgiving, Joe Patrick. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. And now let's talk about this week's big news! (laughs) Big news!
1: Get ready to rush your copies of Walking Dead number 7 to eBay. Actor Chad Coleman has been cast as Tyrese in the AMC adaptation of Robert Kirkman's long-running zombie series. Isn't it a little late for Tyrese to show up? Eh. Coleman is best known for his role as Dennis Cuddy Wise on the HBO drama The Wire. I loved him. Tyrese is a fan-favorite Walking Dead character that joined Rick and the other survivors early in the series and ended up sharing leadership of the group with Rick before meeting the governor <laughs> no spoilers No spoilers here <laughs> coleman is expected to make his debut on the show in this season's fall finale on december 2nd whether or not the tv tyrese's story mirrors the comic book version is anybody's guess uh it's never too late for tyrese here's what pisses me
0: off about the walking dead the fall finale is on december 2nd and the season premiere was like october
1: 6th There are only like 13 episodes uh, but we got like two months i <laughs> mean Come on. Yes. Six episodes no, and seven. Six I like, and seven. I like this actor a lot. I
0: think he'll be great as Tyrese. I don't understand why he wasn't there before.
1: Well, because we had T-Dog. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah.
0: Not, not anymore. Spoiler alert. <laughs> In other Hollywood news, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, who I subsequently had a dream about last night. Gross. Not like a sex dream. Sure. It's really weird. I was Whatever at this big you Hollywood party and Lawrence Kasdan was there and I was talking about Empire Strikes Back. Has been hired by Lucasfilm <laughs> to write and produce episodes 8 and 9 of the new Star Wars trilogy alongside Sherlock Holmes screenwriter Simon Kinberg. It's not clear how the two will be dividing the writing duties, whether they're co-writing both episodes together or if they're each writing one episode solo. Kazdan is obviously a Star Wars veteran, having written what most fans agree is the best film in the original trilogy. I don't... If there's other fans that have a different opinion, I don't want to fucking talk to them, okay? Kinsberg's <laughs> work history is a little more spotty, however. While he has worked on great movies like Sherlock Holmes and X-Men First Class, Kinberg also wrote the screenplays for film gems like X-Men Last Stand, jumper yeah and triple x state of the union not even the good triple x Hey, everybody's gotta start somewhere and make some money i get it the thing that that makes me happiest is he did write good movies like first class and sherlock holmes which are more recent so yeah yes. the guy was younger he had to make a few bucks he had to pay his dues i get it you sign jumper on jumper is not that old you do stuff No, it's not, but it was also one of those films that had been made for quite a while, and they just sat on it because they were like, This movie sucks. Maybe, maybe. Much like the new Red Dawn that
1: sucks. (laughs) Don't go see it. It was terrible. (laughs) I think this is exciting. I think they're like, every week there's another. Exciting new development in the Star Wars uh, trilogy. Yeah,
0: apparently Disney is just going to blow Star Wars wide open and make $100 billion. Hooray! Yeah, which I'm fine Hooray for all of us. Which I'm totally fine with.
1: Yes. I'm okay with uh, people being rewarded for making quality stuff.
0: Speaking of Disney and acquisitions, there was more ROM news this week where we saw a preview from BleedingCool.com. Preview art from our next story we'll be talking about, the picture of ROM-
1: in a Marvel comic book! Yeah, but then Tom Brevoort said, there are no plans for ROM. <laughs> I think the artist was just being He's cute. right there. Finally, Marvel has released details about Age of Ultron, the storyline that was teased more than two years ago. What was originally thought to be writer B.M. Bendis's swan song on the Avengers titles, Age of Ultron is a 10-issue limited series that will ship between March and June of 2013, for those of you keeping track. That's multiple issues per month. <laughs> yeah. Bendis will write the entirety of the series, which will feature art by Brian Hitch for the first five issues. He's the sneaky guy that got Rom into the background on one of those pages. That's true. And Brandon Peterson and Carlos Pacheco for the last half. According to Marvel's director of communications, Arun Singh, the artistic change will be story-driven. Bendis described the story as, quote, Ultron finally fulfilling his destiny, accelerating his intelligence, and taking the Earth. The Marvel Universe has been taken by Ultron. There has been a shocking amount of devastation and casualty. In short, Age of Ultron is about what happens when a supervillain actually succeeds in carrying out his evil plan. Marvel says that a substantial portion of the story, including all of Brian Hitch's issues, is already complete. But the series still takes place in the current Marvel Now setting somehow, even though Ryan Hitch has been working on it for two years. Marvel also promised a much more manageable amount of tie-ins compared to past Marvel events. They were talking like single digits, like less than 10 tie-ins. They also said that the story will spill into upcoming Marvel Now titles like Superior Spider-Man. And finally, Bendis claimed, quote, you cannot guess this ending. It cannot be guessed. I'm involved with this, and even I, every couple of days, go, really? Really? And Marvel editor Tom Brevoort said Age of Ultron is being treated with a, quote, ridiculous level of secrecy.
0: Yeah, well, so was Amazing Spider-Man 698. And how did that go? You know, no, I mean, Now,
1: listen, that's not Marvel's fault. I get it.
0: This sounds like a lot of fun. I'm excited. I like that they're limiting the tie-ins.
1: Yes. That's a good thing. We'll, we'll see if they stick to that. Well, yeah.
0: But for now, it'll, it should make for a more concentrated story.
1: Yes. And I am really eager to see a just a good old fashioned story about heroes fighting villains. And
0: I love Ultron. Ultron is great. I love Ultron and they haven't done anything with him for quite a while.
1: And not since Annihilation Conquest? I think
0: that's right. And even then Ultron played a pretty small part.
1: No, he was the main villain. Oh no, that's right, he was. Yeah, Annihilation I forgot. They uh, melded into each other. Conquest, yeah. yeah, But uh, like if you look back, Bendis is saying that if you look back to his first story arc when he did when they launched mighty avengers with frank cho i
0: forgot about that that first
1: storyline was about ultron he said like he's been dropping seeds here and there for a couple years now i think this just sounds like a fun straightforward adventure story where the heroes are heroes and the there's a clear threat and it's not like heroes fighting villains or rather it's not heroes fighting heroes right you know this sounds like a good time
0: and if there's some time jumping then they can murder people Maybe they could straight murder people.
1: And if, you know, if they're true if if what they're saying is true, if it's got such a crazy like unguessable ending. Well, I admit my curiosity is peaked. Yeah, I'm in. Sounds All like right. fun. Awesome. Big scary robots. Who doesn't love that? Love it.
0: That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where Joe Patrick and I have an open letter to our new robot masters But we're more than willing to work with them in rounding up the human scourge that has held them down for so long. As long as we're promised
1: one little tiny island in the South Pacific. Yeah, they'll definitely hold the... Hold Australia!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Give us Australia and you can have the world, Terminators! Each week, my basic pleasure model replicant, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses on the show. This week's question was, with the age of Ultron on the horizon, we want to know who is your favorite comic book
1: robot? Joe Patrick, what are our robot sympathizer listeners saying? Our first response came from Twitter, Mark O'Donovan, who is at Mark Bawn, B-A-W-N, on Twitter. All right. I believe his first contribution welcome Welcome aboard aboard, Mark Mark he says acid Archie from Grant Morrison's zenith which I have never read and he posted a link I am afraid to go to because the url is freaky trigger (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's fine I'm just kidding Mark here's a picture it is bananas Whoa, and he's <laughs> screaming, crazy! <laughs>
0: he's exclamation were, point of riding a dinosaur. He's riding
1: a T-Rex <laughs> with uh, hippie symbols painted all over him. Oh, wow. Not bad, not bad. Thanks for riding, Mark. Moving over to Facebook, because you tweeters are slacking. Apparently. Aaron Kilborn says, Scud the Disposable Assassin. Excellent answer. Vending machine assassin who realizes his fate as a self-destructing robot, but ends up living... By keeping his target alive, yes, and going through tons and tons of adventures, yes,
0: honestly, my favorite story in comics. His target, who was created by an evil Ben Franklin, by the way. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it was Rob Schrab. That dude was nuts. I loved it.
1: We've got one vote from the Kingslayer for Prince Robot from Saga, Prince Robot the Fourth.
0: Prince Robot the Fourth.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, he has erectile dysfunction,
1: and yeah, <laughs> he likes to read trashy romances novels. Pardon me. He has ED. Uh, Michael Robertson writes in. TikTok from Scotty Young and Eric Shanower's Wizard of Oz, and he came back to explain uh, he likes TikTok because he's like that kind of grandfather that will sit and listen for hours to his grandkids' stories. He's just so sweet to Dorothy, and also the fact that he needs winding up and stops at the worst possible times. It's a great story device. Oh Yeah, that's fun.
0: Cute. TikTok. I personally like robots that kill shit. That's just me. <laughs>
1: That's fine. We got some votes for Cliff Steele, a.k.a. Robot Man. Love
0: it. Love Robot Man.
1: Aaron Myers writes in, just to clarify, uh, he, he's got two answers. He really likes uh, Gort from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Not a comic. Which he says, yes, it was a movie, but has had a comic book adaptation. That's true. So in your face. Okay, fair. And second is the Destroyer armor, which I counted, which I contend is a magic robot. Man, that's a, that
0: is a discussion.
1: I don't know. That is a discussion. That is a discussion. I lo- also love the
0: Destroyer. I don't. I can't say robot, though. I think he is like a magic creature.
1: Save it for the answer of the week. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it later. We'll get into that. Uh, and, but I he do also, love the Destroyer. He wants to clarify, I would say Rom, but Rom is a cyborg, not true. a robot. Not a robot. Thanks for clarifying. Technically, Robot Man, Cliff Steele, also a cyborg, human brain, robot body.
0: Uh, True. Sorry, dude. True. So we just knocked that one right out. Yep. Screw Even you. though he
1: is called Robot Man. <laughs> Fired.
0: It's a misnomer.
1: <laughs> Steven Kohler says Optimus Prime is the greatest robot character of all time. Hard, that is tough to argue. Hard to argue with. Young Keith Binder says Skeets, Booster Gold's erstwhile companion. Oh, yeah. I do love Skeets.
0: I do, too. Very dry sense of humor on that Skeets.
1: And while we had some votes for Vision, Steven Dowell writes in with a great explanation. Uh, his vote is the Vision, but specifically the Vision from John Byrne's run on West Coast Avengers, when he was disassembled and put back together by clueless Shield agents, <laughs> and he walked around practically naked all the time, good. and he was all white. Yes, I, re- I recall. <laughs> Much to the annoyance of the U.S. agent. So yeah, my answer is nude Vision.
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. Good answers so far, guys.
1: Yep. We'll touch on some more later in the this show. Is solid nerdy discussion too. Very I hate it, it's review time at
0: DHN where every week Joe Patrick and I lift the tails and check the naughty bits of two new comics and decide if they deserve to go on compete for the title of best in show. I watch the dog show every year. I love it.
1: And we express their anal glands. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Gross.
1: <laughs> Joe Patrick. <laughs> I know stuff about dogs. Tell the
0: kids about what you read this week. I don't think they expressed their anal glands at the uh, <laughs> Westminster Kennel Club show. <laughs>
1: My pick for the week was going to be Indestructible Hulk number one from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade. But Matt Baum convinced me to instead review Avengers number 34. It's a better discussion. Sure, yes. And so forgive me, this is going to be kind of off the cuff. This is written by B.M. Bendis yeah. with art by Brandon Peterson, Mike Mayhew, Terry Dodson, and Rachel Dodson, along with a jam session. By Mike Diodato, Walter Simonson, Lanell Yu, Jimmy Chung, and Olivier Quapel.
0: I hate the term jam session when it comes to drawing.
1: Well, they didn't actually say jam session. Okay, okay. They did call them the jam artists. And, of course, they're associated inkers in one.
0: They were certainly jammed in there.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, the reason we chose this issue, the reason I chose this issue, is because this is Brian Michael Bendis' final issue of The Avengers. Yes. And it's being treated as sort of a swung song, never mind the fact that next week, New Avengers comes out, and it is his actual last issue of The Avengers. Right. Uh, Regardless, this is the final issue of this version of The Avengers before Jonathan Hickman takes it over in December, and it's also the final installment of the Grand exciting? Uh, These are not words that I would attach to this story. Uh, The return of Janet Van Dyne to the land of the living. Spoiler alert, she was never really dead. She was trapped in the microverse. She was really small. Tiny small in Central Park. How convenient for everybody. So, for the last two issues or so, uh, the Avengers have discovered that Janet Van Dyne is alive. She has figured out a way to rig her Avengers identity card to send a signal into the macroverse, I guess. Yes. And that would be correct. Yay. And it was detected by Tony Stark, and so the Avengers mobilized and went down to the microverse to get her. And of course, there's a big tough villain named Lord Guzar I like it's basically Lord Gozer. He's a, and he's a centaur. He's a centaur. And for whatever reason, he is way tougher than all of the Avengers. Well no, they explain it. Their
0: powers don't work oh, right okay, yes. That's They fair. go to the
1: microverse and their powers don't work their right. Their powers don't work right. Uh inexplicably Wonder Man has shown up despite having well Wonder Man showed up last issue. Yes, during this storyline I'm saying right. Wonder Man has shown up despite the fact that he has actively campaigned against the Avengers very recently also despite the fact that he was in prison very recently. He wasn't though. Yeah, they had him. Did they have him? They had him. Oh, you're right. No, I think he di- disappeared though at the end of that.
0: Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, it's true. Okay.
1: It was forgettable. Yeah, it was forgettable. Wonder Man is back, and now he's really sorry, guys. Yeah, he's feeling. He feels bad. He feels bad yeah, about the whole I'm thing. I'm super sorry and about like, all that oh, stuff man. I did. His head is
0: down. He's like, you know, man, I was a real jerk.
1: I just don't know. Yeah. Uh,
0: when I went and got all those bad guys and came and tried to kill you, <laughs> right? You know? when
1: I demolished Avengers, very much and- like
0: the end of like Spider-Man Three, where the Sandman's like, hey, I really didn't like the way that went down. When I, you know, got turned into a giant skyscraper and beat on your also, chest. Also, <laughs> sorry I killed your <laughs> uncle. Yeah. Oh, and I murdered your uncle too.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. So, storyline wise, there you have it. There, there, it's a rescue mission. Wonder Man is there. The Let's reason get we're into it. the reason we're glossing over the story is because it is so mediocre,
0: entirely forgettable.
1: That as a swan, like as the wrap up of an eight year run, it is immensely disappointing. Yeah, like this storyline since it started. No, I knew it was the final story when I when I started reading it. Right, and. When I picked up the first issue, I went, this is this is the story? Even the solicitations for the
0: final issues, you could tell that they were like, because it's just like, Brian Michael Bendis wraps up his amazing run. And that's it. The end. Yes. <laughs> you know, not like, oh, this is happening, or this is going to be cool, or you can't miss it. It's just like, it's ending.
1: Yes. like There is no excitement. There's no enthusiasm. It's just Bendis throwing a bunch of stuff together at the last minute to wrap things up for Jonathan Hickman,
0: It is, Pickman. by definition, unceremonious.
1: Yes, because they've already announced that Wonder Man and the Wasp are going to be in Uncanny Avengers, right. which so we means knew that. we had to get them back into play.
0: Yeah. I've used this metaphor twice now. I wrote it in my blog earlier this week, it, and I'm going to use it again. It's very much like when Barry Bonds came up to the plate and broke Hank Aaron's home run record, and nobody gave a shit because Barry Bonds was such a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> You know, and it was just like, and there it is, folks. Batting next is, you know, like, yeah. nobody cared. There's nothing here. This strikes me. It seems like Bendis was so excited about his X-Men
1: story that he just exited. He just did a quick setup for that. Hickman and went, done. I don't think it's that. I think it's that he needed to leave months ago. His run needed to end months ago. Yeah. No, I agree with that, too. He's run out of gas. We talked about it earlier. He the dude has. ran out of gas. He definitely has. I don't think that he just switched his excitement. I think it's just that he ran out of stuff to do. Yeah. And maybe they kept him on the book longer because they knew Marvel Now was coming and they had to stretch it to a certain point. Maybe not. I mean, we'll never really know. This
0: definitely felt like treading water, though. But
1: it has been treading water. Both books have. And they used oh, yeah. to be can't miss, must read. And now, I just, this is a disappointing end to a run that was overall pretty great. And, you know, there's an epilogue here where it kind of gets back to what Bendis does best. And it's the, it's the main setup for a Hickman where the action is over and all the Avengers are together. And they're reunited.
0: And Spider-Woman's mouth is wide open.
1: Spider-Woman's <laughs> mouth is wide open. <laughs> and Captain America and Iron Man are talking about the future And it ends with Iron Man saying, we're going to go bigger. And that's setting up for Hickman. And like, yeah, that's great. I get it. But this needed to have way more emotional punch. Oh, yeah. It needed to have a level of excitement and enthusiasm that just wasn't there. The art is all over the place. Yeah.
0: You know, and Mike Mayhew is not a bad artist, but his art here is bad.
1: There's a section in the back where each page is illustrated by a different Artist that has worked on Bendis's Avengers.
0: Oh, and guess what it features? The Avengers punching something.
1: Yes, Uh, yeah. It's it should be it should be epic and fun, and it's bland. It's not. Giant horse guy shows up, and the Avengers go quick punch him. And it's the same five Avengers in every panel, like Iron Fist, Spider Man, Red Hulk, who we don't care about. (laughs) Captain Marvel, uh, the uh, female Captain Marvel, and Giant Man. It's just like stop it. This isn't fun. I don't care. I don't care. The Olivier Quapel's panel is the horse falling down, and you can't even see what's happening. Yeah.
0: This so, was disappointing.
1: And it's $5. This
0: was disappointing, and it cost $5. It's four I'm giving this a leave it.
1: I'm giving it a leave it as well. I think you can skip this storyline. There's a three-page goodbye from Brian Michael Bendis, which is so self-indulgent. Yeah. And I get that the dude is sad, and and he did a great thing for the Avengers. He re- revitalized the franchise. It's probably safe to say that there'd be no Avengers movie without what he did. I I think
0: that's absolutely true. And I think he's probably, arguably, one of the most important Avengers writers of all time. It's true. But if you care that much, maybe give us a good ending. You know instead, and I liked the three page goodbye. It was well written, and you can tell he it was real he genuinely well cares, but it's hard to believe that he's as genuine and real about these characters as he says he is when we get this throwaway piece of crap story. the whole thing just and reads. I, I liked the wasp, I liked the wasp coming back. I didn't like Simon Williams' Wonder Man becoming a bad guy. It didn't make any sense. I didn't
1: like that either. And, and to take care of it like this, like, oh, he feels better. Why did you do it in the first place? He has a tendency to completely ignore past characterization if it suits his story. Absolutely. If he needs somebody to say, the microverse, what's that? He'll put that those words into the mouth of somebody that absolutely should already know what the microverse right. is. The Wasp led the Avengers for years When they were a government-sanctioned team, yes, she's seen all the files. She knows what the microverse is. I
0: find it hard to believe that Maria Hill, who is director of S.H.I.E.L.D., doesn't know that there's a microverse. She's like, I just heard about this yesterday. (laughs) Really?
1: Uh, Yeah, it it just reads like a story by somebody who didn't know when to quit, who didn't want to quit and held on for too long. And I get it. But I can't recommend it. No. Matt, what did you read this week? This week, I checked out
0: Clone Number One. That's right. Every once in a while, we review comics that are not Marvel Comics. (laughs) From Image. This one is written by David Schulner with art by Juan Jose Rip, and colors by Felix Serrano. Here's your solicit. From Robert Kirkman's, and Robert Kirkman is in all caps because apparently he's a big selling point for image. I don't know. From Robert (laughs) Kirkman's skybound imprint comes a sci-fi story like you've never seen before. Dr. Luke Taylor's perfect life comes to a dramatic halt when an identical bloodied version of himself arrives at his doorstep with news that he's one of many clones and they're all after his
1: pregnant wife and their unborn child. Whoa. His super busty pregnant wife that doesn't know how to wear she's, a shirt. She's preggers. <laughs> you you get, you know. Oh,
0: I get it. Your boobs get bigger. This is only the second title from Kirkman's Skybound imprint that isn't written by Kirkman. The other being Witch Doctor, which is a comic that Joe Patrick and I both really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, new Witch Doctor series next week. Yep. Go pick it up. It's going to be fun. This is Ryder schulner first comic book. But not his first written work. Before this, he was working for TV shows like Kings and The Event, both of which were canceled after their first season. May or may not have been his his fault. Who knows? No. If Schulner is looking for a way back to TV, teaming with Kirkman is not a bad idea. (laughs) The way that this comic is written also definitely feels like a pilot episode. Sure. This totally feels like a TV script. The story starts with, action the main character is being chased by a man with a gun who when he catches him says the words it's over my brother and may or may not be a clone of the guy that he's chasing i think he is but they don't really show his face because there's a reveal later that comes where i think they watch in the dark a little bit but he says it's over my brother and he shoots the guy in the stomach. next panel we see the same character that just got shot waking up from a dream this is dr luke taylor He's married to a beautiful and very pregnant wife. And very busty. She's preggers, okay? That happens. With no enemies that he can think of. So, when he does encounter someone that looks exactly like him, bleeding out on his kitchen floor, the questions begin. And it's actually a really, really good scene. He looks at the guy, gets really close to him, and he goes... What are we, like brothers or something? (laughs) Like Because they're the same exact person. Schulner does a great job here with the dialogue, whether he's writing Luke talking to his wife, or what seems to be his clone, or even his wife's doctor conducting a sonogram. It's very believably written. You can tell this guy has some Hollywood and TV experience, and it translates very well to the page. Artist Rip also does a great job of illustrating some very human moments. I enjoyed Rip's work on several of the Warren Ellis Avatar titles that he worked on, like Black mm-hmm. Summer, Wolfskin, and uh, No Hero, and all of which were gore books. And I got to say, there is nobody working in the industry right now that draws gore like Juan Jose Rip. I'm pretty sure he's seen the inside of a lot of people.
1: <laughs> that. I do not like Juan Jose Rip. We'll get to that.
0: That said, Clone is a very big departure for Rip, and he's really good here. Whether he's drawing Luke and his wife in their underwear, building a crib for their unborn baby, or a clone bleeding out on the kitchen floor, his depth, his details, perspective are really genuinely impressive. He has a shading technique that reminds me of very much of Daniel Klaus, and a style-like Jeff Darrow, but he... Doesn't go overly nuts with it. Jeff Darrell can get away with it because he's a crazy person and one of the most talented guys drawing comics in the business right now. Rip does a really good job of keeping his panels very detailed and full, but not overly busy so as to become distracting, and it keeps his timing very tight and keeps this story moving at a really, really good pace. I almost wonder if Schulner is working with him because like, he's been good in his other stuff, but it was always very panel by panel, not so much kinetic action and movement. It was a lot of big, bold panels with like someone being cut in half and the gut spilling out. This was really solid storyboarding. Like good zooms on people's face when you needed it for dramatic effect and stuff like that
1: that really worked. And I haven't seen
0: that from him yet.
1: I'm not saying he's a bad artist. I think Juan Jose Rip is immensely talented. He's very talented. I just don't like his style, and that's fine. I really don't. That's Everything acceptable. looks kind of gross and wet. I see. I don't. Think maybe not wet. Maybe wet is not the right. I don't think right that's as th- present here. I just I don't care for his his style. The shading technique that you mentioned, where it's like um, it's not parallel stipple. lines. Yeah, it's parallel lines. I find that to be very distracting. Some artists do it great. Some artists, when some artists do it, it looks too uniform, like a pattern. I just don't. I don't. I'm not saying he executes it poorly. It just I find it jarring. I'm not a fan. See,
0: I think it really works here. I think it has been jarring on his stuff before. I don't think that's true with this book. I think it looks really good,
1: and that's fine. I just, like I said, I I think he's very good. I think he's competent, and I think he's you know a great artist and storyteller. I just don't like his style.
0: I should also mention this comic has a $2.99 cover price, and it's printed on really nice heavy paper stock without any ads. Image is continuing to put out some of the highest quality monthly comics and doing it for a very affordable price. If you look at the five dollar Avengers book that we just talked about, loaded with ads, yeah. first of all, printed on tissue paper. And like and the cover is now the same stock as the paper that's inside the comic. That is cheap, man. This feels like something in your hands. It's got a heft got weight, and if you drop it, it's not destroyed. (laughs) That says something. I was drawn in almost instantly here, and I'm really excited to read more. This clone felt like a really good TV script. Like I said, if this is Schollner's attempt at getting back to the TV world, it's a really
1: good place to start. I'm giving this a buy it. I confess I did not read it, because I thought Matt was going to review Captain America. (laughs) Or Judge Dredd. Both of which I read. I think I'm a clone.
0: So that is a double leave it for the final issue of B.M. Bendis's Avengers and a loan buy-it for clone because I tricked Joe Patrick and he didn't <laughs> Of course, we want to know what you green goliaths and test babies thought of these comics. So hit us up at the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Our programming does not allow us to harm human beings, but our synthesized parts
1: and amazing android brains do give us superhuman speed and
0: strength, allowing us to not only fend off waves of seniors and overzealous, named that Black Friday case soccer moms, but to finish our own X-Men shopping and take advantage of every gore here in the
1: Tri-State area. You should see the cell phone accessory
0: that I got. And
1: still, leave us time to review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! The Adventures of Augusta Win, number one from IDW. Uh man, I this was so boring.
0: I that I admit <laughs> I didn't finish it. The art's really scratchy and weird. I thought they were going for this Alice in Wonderland thing, but the girl may or may not be crazy. I really didn't care. This was just long-winded, boring, and I'm sorry, poorly drawn. Leave it. Grace Randolph, Superbia, number one from Boom.
1: This is now an ongoing series. You may remember me talking about the mini from Boom uh, last year. It was great. It's a, it's basically Desperate Housewives. If all the husbands are superheroes, the Justice League. Yeah, and it's really fun. One of the, uh, one of the housewives is a former supervillain, and nobody's supposed to know that she's there. It's great drama, a lot of excellent twists, and really good art. I'm giving it a buy it. This is a good fun book. Captain America number one from Marvel.
0: This is new writer Rick Remender and John Romita, who has seemed to have dropped the junior from his name. Oh, didn't it say junior? Yeah, it just says John Romita. Weird. I don't know. This is Captain America going to Dimension Z, which for some reason I thought was going to be the Marvel zombie universe. It's not. No. And uh, it was fun. I don't know. I mean, this is a fun, interesting
1: place to take Captain America. I don't know how you would follow Ed Brubaker's run yeah, in any it, other way. It's kind of a return to like the huge superhero stuff like from Jack Kirby in the Right, 70. a
0: little less real world And more sci-fi I'm in It was Me fun too. stuff Buy it Comeback, number one From Image
1: This is the second uh, Launch from Image this week It is about a group Of time travelers That will Go back in time And rescue your loved ones yeah, From like tragic accidents
0: Reverse looper
1: Kind of <laughs> And it was really fun The art had kind of A Michael Lark Slash David Aja vibe I'll give you that uh, Similar, in tone at least And I am really on board. A lot of great twists, like the rules of time travel in this world. I'm really into it. I'm giving this one a buy. It check it out. Judge Dredd number one from IDW. You know what?
0: I just I don't think I like
1: Judge Dredd comics. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I, I've
0: tried the British ones. I tried this one. It's just a little too silly and wacky. It's very silly. Maybe I'm just not in on the joke. I can't say that like this was poorly written or poorly drawn. I just don't think I like Judge Dredd. Sorry. Skim it.
1: <laughs> All right. Indestructible Hulk number one from Marvel. This is Mark Wade and Lanelle Francis Yu uh, revitalizing, not rebooting, revitalizing the Hulk. Wade, hopefully, uh, it's hard to tell with this first issue, but injecting that same kind of new life into the Hulk that he did Daredevil.
0: I would argue he already injected that into Bruce Banner. Sure. Bruce Banner, who got kind of ruined during his last. Sure, run.
1: sure. And I just, I really enjoyed it. The art uh, has problems. In my main review, I would have gone into more detail, but Linnell Yu is trying something new with like panel borders. Yeah. It does not always work. And the coloring, I'm sorry, is not very good. It's too washed out. Yeah. It looks like an oil, like a watercolor painting. But I, I know Linnell Yu is a great artist, and Mark Wade is killing it on I the still, I still, I'm still like I'm giving this you, a yeah. buy it. It's really
0: fun. Buy it for me as well.
1: And, yeah, I love it. Edgar Allan Poe's Conqueror Worm, number one from Dark Horse.
0: This is Richard Corbin adapting a Edgar Allan Poe poem. Into a comic book. It was gross. (laughs) It was scary to look at. And it didn't work at all. Leave it. Amazing Spider-Man 698. (laughs) I hate doing that because I love the guy so much. It just didn't work. That's that's fine. It was weird. Amazing Spider-Man 698. Joe, something huge happened here. If we talk about it, Dan Slott is going to punch us in the digital nose.
1: Yes. uh, We're not going to spoil it. Suffice it to say, and this is no exaggeration, I am more excited for the spider-man titles now than i have been in years not that the spider titles have been bad dan sloth's done a great job but i am genuinely excited for where they're going there is a huge event or reveal in this issue it opens the door for a ton of questions and makes everything that has been happening instantly suspect i am hooked i can't wait for the next one i'm giving it a huge buy it it
0: was fun i'm on board too it was neato
1: journey into mystery number 646 from marvel
0: Catherine Immerman jumps on board as a writer, along with Penciler Valerio. Shitty! And uh, he is fantastic this here. This was gorgeous. It was beautiful
1: to look at. The it coloring. Was super, was, it really was. Jordi Belair. Amazing. Is a, is a name to watch. She did a great job on the coloring. Journey into Mystery continues to
0: be must-read stuff. Spinning out a Gillen's Run, which was so much fun. This was great. It's following Lady Sip now. Lady Sip is a total badass. They could easily build her into yeah. Marvel's Wonder Woman from here. I loved it. This is fan. This book
1: does not look like anything else Marvel's it's putting
0: out. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Huge buy it for me. Star Trek number 15 from IDW.
1: I haven't read this since issue one where Matt reviewed it a year ago. Uh, I picked it up, though, because they're doing the mirror-mirror adaptation. Yeah, yeah. And it was awesome. Yes. I've been telling you that Star it Trek was is fantastic. So great month in and month out this uh, book is wonderful it's so much fun and you don't need to know anything no. yeah, like you know what Star Trek is sure. who cares what happened in the first 14 I do say I do have to say that it bothers me when the artist tries so hard to make the characters look like the movie characters I think he's doing a good job doing it. it's yeah. it's it's fine and it's just distracting when it doesn't work but okay fair enough this is the adventure of those guys so. I get it I get it it's just a, I know that already right don't try so hard okay uh, but it's it's really good, a ton of fun. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Check it out. I told you you
0: were wrong about Star Trek, you jerk.
1: No, I didn't I didn't dislike it. You I just, like, hey, I'm, just hey, I'm kind
0: of uh, whatever on it. It was great.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round. And ba-boom is the sound Judge Dredd's Lawgiver pistol makes when it's firing high explosive rounds. And how does it do that? He yells out loud, high explosive rounds or flamethrower, and it just like. It's voice controlled. Does stuff. Yeah. I don't
1: like Judge Dredd. It's voice. No, that's cool. It's voice controlled.
0: Not cool. They did
1: it in the movie.
0: I don't like it. At this time, we welcome you to join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our friend John Constantine, who's just moved into the regular DCU, has made a call to his good buddy Shazam, because they hang out now. We'll be letting John borrow his magic lightning to defrost and reanimate a slaughtered turkey who, after its trip to the netherworld and through our bowels, will impart its forbidden knowledge of next week's comics to us, as long as its featherless corpse is held within the devil's circle we drew from our somewhat hazy memories of various supernatural episodes. Joe Patrick! I'm sure everything will be fine.
1: (laughs) That metaphor totally (laughs) makes sense. I don't think you can call it a devil's circle in the main DC universe. No, no, no. I'm mixing Supernatural with the
0: main DC universe. (laughs) Joel Patrick. Speaking of which, there was a Supernatural comic book written by Brian Wood from DC. That's true. There you go. (laughs) Still counts. What is your pick for next week?
1: (laughs) What is happening? That's
0: right. They're there.
1: My pick for next week goes to FF number one from Marvel by Matt Fraction with art by Mike Allred. I'm so damn excited for this. Yes, I wasn't at first. It just looks. But then I read that preview. It
0: looks stupid and fun and just ridiculous.
1: I read that preview in the uh, point one. Yeah. And it was actually really touching. A lot of fun. About it's all about Scott Lang dealing with his grief over losing his daughter. I. It this looks like a great fun companion book to the new Fantastic Four. I am on board. Special mention goes to Nowhere Men, though, number one from Image. It was a tough choice. Nowhere Men? That it's, sounds really familiar. It's the new Image book by uh, Eric Stevenson and Nate Bellagarde. Isn't this the return of something? Isn't Nowhere Men old? No. no. Really? It's a, it's a brand new book. It looks really fun, and if it wasn't for FF coming out this week, that would have been my pick. Huh. Check out both of these. Matt I know I cheated, but I still want to know what your pick is. I am
0: gonna go with masks, number one from Dynamite, written by Chris Roberson, with fully painted interior art by Alex Ross, ladies and gentlemen. Well, he's it's making about his time. big comeback with the Spider, Green Hornet, Kato, Shadow crossover.
1: <laughs> I think there are others, but I can't remember I who they are. I
0: think that's it for now. I think the first issue is those
1: guys, Maybe. like where it starts. Is the Phantom in it, or it's just guys in masks? No, the Phantom wore a mask. Oh, that's true. He had the little Lone Ranger. Yeah, but he didn't wear a fedora and a cape. No,
0: but he wore a mask and a purple (laughs) outfit. I mean, come on! I would argue that's more than what the Shadow was wearing. That's true. So this takes place in the 50s, which is going to be hard to pull off because the Dynamite Shadow book takes place in 2012. The spider, the spider. Pardon me, the Dynamite <laughs> Spider book takes place in 2012. Maybe it's
1: about the previous version.
0: I'm sure spider. we'll find a way around that. They also have a crossover series going where Vampirella is hooked up with Red Sonia and Sherlock Holmes. So, I mean, hey. Whatever. All rules are off the table. I'm on a, quite honestly picking this one because of the Alex Ross art. I miss him so much. And you know what? Chris Roberson is good. This could be fun. Yep. I'm into it. I'll check it out. The THN trade paperback of the week goes to The Sixth Gun, Volume 4, from Oni, written by Cullen Bunn, with art by Brian Hurt. Think Hellboy and the BPRD in the Old West. This book is just amazing. I, I ain't only enough. wish Cullen Bunn could be this good in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. He's not good there, man. Mm. What is that? Maybe. He's got a new book coming out. You gonna finish Minimum Carnage first? I don't know. That's him, buddy. <laughs> Be sure to tell us what comics the spirits of your Thanksgiving dinner are whispering to you about from the toilet over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. I forgot to mention we put a toilet in the middle of the devil circle so we could, you know. I understand. Put the rest of the turkey in there. Oh, I get it.
1: <laughs> I get it.
0: Moving right along, let's get back to the question of the week. Joe
1: Patrick, tell us some more about some nerds' favorite robots. Shane Vanek writes in his favorite, Jacosta. Proof- Good choice. Yes. Proof that Hank Pym really did create the most accurate AI ever portrayed because when Ultron builds himself a robot wife, even though they are unnecessary boobs, <laughs> 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 and not regular run-of-the-mill boobs, oversized comic book boobs. Yep. Then names his creation after a mother from a story of murder and incest. True. Lots of, and lots of childbearing incest. <laughs> the whole thing is odd, but for some reason it works and I like her. I love you. You have too. problems, sir. She was rad. Brian DuPont says, Stell from the Green Lanterns, though it seems a no-brainer to have a robot in the Green Lantern Corps. You can just program it to have the ability to overcome fear. Ah, uh, but that's Stell's thing.
0: Like, he, his AI was such that his willpower, like, went way past what a robot's willpower should be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Stell was picked from his people. I love Stell. Yeah. He's totally rad.
1: Hasn't been around in a while, though. No, Brian we haven't seen out.
0: him. The Green Man as
1: well. I loved the Green Man. That Green Man. Where did he go? I the loved him. The Green Man became one of the Alpha Lanterns. Yeah, but then all the Alpha Lanterns got better. Did they? Yeah, they got I better. I haven't been reading they got better. Green Lantern Corps. Aaron Wagner writes, I have to go with Joe Pye from Top 10. He's extremely talented. Yes.
0: Great pick. He's
1: extremely talented at his job, skilled at interpersonal relations, but he's a real crummy siege negotiator. (laughs) That is true. Joe Pye is a great character. My favorite scene from his issue of Top 10. Is when he goes over to his new partner, Ermageddon's house for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's all mad because her old partner died and, you know, she doesn't like this newbie. And she's getting paired with a robot. Yeah. And so he... he. Meets,
0: there's like some kind of robot racism in that book, too, A little bit, yeah. Where people like just don't really trust Clickers them. or whatever. Yeah, call they call it. them clickers.
1: But uh, he meets her kids for the first time and they're like, oh, robot, do you know any cool robot tricks? And he goes, oh... You know, I don't know any, nah, I, I wish I knew some robot tricks, but when he says that, he has taken off his head and yeah. he's holding it under his arm. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, no, I don't know any cool robot tricks. <laughs> Andrew McBride writes in, seconding Joe Pie, but he only ties with Aaron Stack, the Machine Man, especially as portrayed in Warren Ellis's Next Wave.
0: Absolutely.
1: I, I have to agree.
0: Loved it. Uh, I the am glib angry machine man.
1: <laughs> drink the glib angry drunk machine man. I'm really sad that in Red She Hulk they seem to have gotten away from that version of the machine. Yeah, man. Mm. yeah.
0: But they, to be fair, he did get fixed and that personality went away. Shit, man. I know, I know. But I... he was only like that because of a malfunction. Sure,
1: sure. Michael King wants to know: Does Inspector Gadget count? I say no. No, cyborg. No. Also, doesn't count. He's a cyborg. <laughs> no, we're talking robots here. And finally, we got uh, Zach Cutler says M eleven, the human robot from Agents of Atlas. He's the best bot ever. Uh yeah. I do love yeah. M eleven. He
0: is awesome.
1: He never says. Wait, does he never talk? Sometimes he talks. Right?
0: He talks a little bit, but it's like one word sentence. It's and,
1: like affirmative or uh, yeah.
0: And otherwise, it's like beeps and blurps. Death
1: ray right engaged. Yeah, <laughs> you know stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love M eleven. And finally, we got in a couple of votes for Atomic Robo. I love Atomic Robo. Anthony Mathers and Brian Bendig both write in Atomic Robo. Okay, is he a robot? Is yes, he human. Atomic brain? Robo is a robot built by Nikola Tesla, I, not a human brain. Oh, I thought he had a human brain. Nope, okay. he's just uh, he's just he's got free will. Brian Bendig says Atomic Robo wins because of science. Science is awesome. <laughs> yeah,
0: they really drive that point home in the book too. <laughs> they
1: do, and I love Atomic Robo. Great answers, everybody. Very Thanks again. We're knocking it out of the park. We're even gonna have to come up with something really good. I forgot to post the question of the week until ten thirty or eleven last night. I love this kid.
0: Time again for these two trail weary cowpokes to make one final check on the pug herd we're wrangling, and then curl up by the campfire where Joe Patrick has been cooking beans and chicory coffee for our post-Thanksgiving edition. Take a look A book, y'all.
1: I can't maintain that. This week, we're taking a look at Doug Wildey's Rio, as reprinted by IDW. If you don't recognize that name, you're not alone. Wildie is probably best known for his work at Hanna-Barbera on the Johnny Quest cartoon, which is still widely considered to be one of the best televised cartoons of all time. I
0: loved The old school Johnny Quest. It was so
1: good. I've never seen a single moment of Johnny Quest. Man, they're amazing. I do love the Venture Brothers, though. Fair enough. Which is essentially Johnny Quest. Side note. (laughs) (laughs) Before that, Wilde worked at Atlas Comics, the predecessor of Marvel, on titles like Frontier Western, Journey into Unknown Worlds, Marvel Tales, Mystery Tales, Mystic, Strange Tales, and Uncanny Tales. That's a lot of tales. A lot of tales. He went on to work on newspaper comic strips like The Saint with Dick Ayers, And a brief stint on Milton Kniff's Steve Canyon, very well-known comic strips, a lot of which are also reprinted in gorgeous hardcover volumes. By Fantagraphics, I think.
0: Caniff was also one of his main influences. And we're naming all this stuff off because Doug Wildey is one of those guys whose name was lost to time. Kind of, yeah. And he is a wildly talented guy that if you talk to... Beloved
1: by comic book historians. Yes,
0: absolutely. You talk to any of the old writers or artists and they will say, everybody should know this guy's name.
1: After working at Hanna-Barbera, Wildey returned to comics and worked on titles like DC's Our Army at War and Jonah Hex and Sgt. Fury and the Howling Commandos over at Marvel. In the mid to early 80s, Wildie created and wrote his own character, Rio, an aging gunfighter making his way through a somewhat historically accurate Old West. Somewhat. Somewhat. Rio first appeared at Eclipse Comics in the pages of Eclipse Monthly and later at Dark Horse. This IDW reprint contains Wildy's complete Rio work and, as usual, is reprinted from the original art in an oversized and really beautiful format.
0: Let's start with that right there, the format. The format. First of all, the fact that somebody at IDW was able to go and find the original art pages for these Eclipse books, I, I defy you to go find copies of Eclipse Monthly. Good luck. <laughs> go out there and try and find them. The fact that they were able to put together the entirety of his work from the original art, some
1: of which... Well, it could be he got his art back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of which is Accurate colored, publishing. some of which is not. It's, it's a little rough But here. it's
1: hand colored. So I think yeah. it's just like, back in the day before computers they would do what was called color guides where right. somebody would color it with with art markers and then they would use those as a guide to, to apply those dots and, you I know, think and make the colors.
0: in some of the places here they didn't have the original art and they only had color guides and stuff like that. Could be. Because it, it goes back and forth. These are actual scans of Doug Wildy's page,
1: Just like all of their artist edition books, though this one is a lot more reasonably priced. It's it, only forty nine ninety nine.
0: True enough, which is very cool of them to do that since a lot of people don't know who Doug Wildey is and probably aren't... Like Walt Simonson, Steve Ditko, these are names that probably sell very well in yeah. artist editions. This is not an artist edition. It's not as big as that, but it is the actual size of his art pages and no one, nobody is doing reprints like IDW. Mm. This format is fucking incredible. I mean, just... Beautiful. You're not just reading a reprint of the comic. You're looking at comic book history. You're looking at the pages that this guy actually drew in actual size on beautiful stock paper in an amazing hardcover edition. I mean, no one is doing this for comic history like IDW.
1: It's a really great-looking book, and I love the fact that you can look at it and see where he put, like, Whiteout. Yes. Or, you know, you can see the lines from from where he drew pencil marks so that the lettering would be straight. Right. And stuff like that. I love seeing stuff it's like that. It's so
0: cool because you see the guy working. Yeah. That's what you see. And Doug Wildy is not necessarily the strongest writer. He was obviously an or artist. Or artist,
1: for that matter, yeah. because he was self-taught. If you read right. the intro by Mark Evanier, uh, he talks about how Wildy was... Self-taught and proud of it.
0: Mark Evanier, who might be the smartest comic historian in the world. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kind of amazing.
1: So if you look at the art, it is extremely detailed. You know, he's got an excellent knack for shading yeah. and shadow.
0: And that's definitely something that he picked up while working at Hanna-Barbera. If you look yeah. at the backgrounds on those Johnny Quest cartoons, it's here. I mean, they're thick, deep. Beautiful background,
1: but there are also some elements where the anatomy is not quite right. Right, and that's where it's like, oh man, you could tell that this guy taught himself to draw. Yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily something that you would. It's not glaring if you weren't an artist. Right, not that I'm, you know, a, an authority on the matter. It's just, it's I, not- I could when you're looking at it in such detail at this size, you can you can see oh, while the shadowing and the folds of the clothes all right. look amazing. That fat dude's arm is way off, you know, for <laughs> it's, him
0: to be... Nothing is glaring. No, I no. should say. But there it's are some issues there. And he's a self-taught artist, much yeah. like uh, some of my favorite drummers are self-taught drummers that don't play the same way that a guy who grew up taking jazz lessons plays. And you can hear it in the way they record. Doug Wildie's that kind of artist. For,
1: for somebody that taught himself to draw and never took a formal lesson, it's enormously talented. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. You know, it's inspirational to see, like, this is what you can do if you just work.
0: And there's some of these, like, spreads that introduce the book, like, where we see him riding through a canyon, or just an open scene of the West that is just a beautifully painted landscape. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And the story itself is really solid. It's good.
1: Yeah. It's this
0: wandering gunfighter who sort of had a part in the background of all these major western mythos like the shootout at the okay corral and stuff like that like he was around with these characters with jesse james and with wyatt Earp and the Earp brothers but he was always kind of in the background people knew about him but they didn't really take him seriously anymore yeah. They were like, "Yeah, you used to be a badass, but now you're just this like old, tall, kind of drunk gunfighter guy, you know." And nobody really, and, it, and because of that, he's sort of Columbo the, of yeah, the old west. And they gave him a lot of
1: guff because he took a job <laughs> working for what was it in that first story? He was working for the president.
0: Yeah, he took to a convince, job working for the government, trying to convince this railroad uh, baron to stop letting people shoot buffalo yeah. from the train because it was pissing the Indians off, and they were afraid that like the Indians were going to rise up yeah and so he comes representing the indians and you meet this really gross railroad baron guy who's like screw the indians we'll just kind of roll right over you know yeah. and of course he gets his from old rio
1: yeah <laughs> well <laughs> and know? i loved that because that was like a multi-part story yeah where the railroad tycoon's flunky ends up taking off and rio chases him for several stories yeah but each story in itself is different like my favorite one was the one where he, Rio runs a foul. Like while he's tracking this guy, he meets up with a platoon from the uh, United States Army, right? Or uh, army, I suppose. Yeah, and they are under the command of
0: a lunatic,
1: somebody who is a little bit too <laughs> obsessive about his f- fandom of Napoleon. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and so he's leading them into certain death. And Rio...
0: And his second in command is talking to Rio, like saying, uh, well, we're supposed to march into the canyon tomorrow and uh, charge the Indians that we can't see, and yeah. Rio's like, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs>
1: like, well, what I love about it was that it's never, it's never like the kind of whitewashed version that we used to get in old westerns about cowboys and Indians, and now Indians are savages, and right. all this stuff. None of that's present, because no. this guy is clearly in the wrong, and the... And the Native Americans are just portrayed as people trying to survive. I also think every one of these
0: stories touch on that. There's yeah. nothing traditional, old West, black and white here. There's a fantastic story where he rides into town and meets Jesse James' wife, who's living under an assumed name because Jesse James is a bad guy. you know? And so he's in this town that is totally clean. There's no crime and doesn't make any sense. Why nothing bad is happening here It turns out Jesse James has been protecting The town Because he lives there And the other bad guys know who he is Someone comes and kidnaps Tries to kidnap this banker's kid And accidentally kidnaps Jesse James' kid And when they find out Whose kid they actually have Jesse James is forced to expose himself In the town And they're like all this time We thought this, like, upstanding citizen was this great guy. It turns out he's Jesse James, a gunfighter. Like, we're going to turn you in for a reward or whatever. And he's like, look, I've been keeping this town clean so all you jackasses could live here comfortably. And now you turn against me? You know, like, it's this wonderful story. Yeah. And all of these stories were like that. They kind of flipped the Western genre on their head. And this was the 80s. This was 1983 when nobody else was really doing this stuff. Yeah. Really well-executed stuff. This is a very important piece of comic history, and I would highly recommend reading this. Some of the best Western stuff I've ever read.
1: And what it, what is especially noteworthy about it is that this is the story that Doug Wildey was working on when he passed. Yeah. And so you the story t- is unfinished.
0: Towards the end, it's very unfinished.
1: It actually yeah. bleeds into pencil art and eventually layouts. Yeah. You know, hand-lettered layouts. So... You don't ever get the full scope of the story, but you can see his work at all stages, but and, and there's also that this, he was obviously pouring his heart and
0: soul into it. There's also this great metaphor to that, like the character itself, Rio, instead of getting gunned down or dying in this big epic way, it just sort of fades into the background along with Wildy's work because he sort of died and it just didn't finish. And there's this beautiful sort of metaphor to the story there where... Rio just wanders off. He just ends. It doesn't stop. There's not some big climactic thing. There's not some gunfight or anything. He just sort of wandered into the sunset. Sort yeah. of like Doug Wildy, And we forgot about both of them, yeah. unfortunately. It's an important character and a very important creator. I wish everybody knew who this guy was. Pick this up. Gigantic buy it from me.
1: My instinct was to give it a skimmit, not because it wasn't wonderful, but because Westerns are not everybody's cup of tea. Sure. And it's also a $50 hardcover. Right. But on the strength of the work, on the importance of the work, just as an art book, just as an appreciation of the craft, even if you don't care about the story. Right.
0: What this guy was capable of.
1: I think this is really worth checking out. It's beautiful to look at. Even if you don't read it, it's just really wonderful to see his work, especially with the knowledge that he taught himself. Yeah. And that he was doing this, he was working so hard on this because he was confident that he could do a better Western than anybody else. And he's else.
0: one of those forgotten guys that influenced so many people that we love. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, I can't say enough about so how talented On the guy strength
1: is. of that, I'm giving it a buy-it as well. Look this is you. a really good book.
0: Joe Patrick's heart just grew ten sizes in his chest.
1: Oh, uh, shucks, ma'am. weren't nothing. Next month, we'll be tackling the first two volumes of David Peterson's Mouse Guard, Ball And Winter, 1152, from Archaea.
0: It's about goddamn time I read this comic.
1: (laughs) It's a a double shot. So if you want to read along, go pick up your copies now. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is
0: it for the Cowboys and Robots edition of THN. If Thanksgiving in Westworld is your idea of a family holiday tradition, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes where you want to prove your THN love. Please, please, please leave us a star rating and maybe even a short little written review to help us get into the iTunes Top 10. Then and only then will we actually have a comic book podcast category. How hard is it? How hard is it? Type comic books in the box. Throw us pull in there. Us the Pull, the pull Podcast. Burnt Wieners. Yeah, I guess iFanboy can come. You know, <laughs> whatever.
1: Huge thanks to all of our donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in silver spurs and meters, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved twoheadednerd.com, where you can also contact us about sponsor information. That's right, we're selling out.
0: That's right, buddy. We're an LLC. You can sponsor this show. While you're there, you can also find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love/slash hate mail, the comic book that you would like us to review. We haven't received anything for a while, and we love getting stuff from you guys. Don't be embarrassed. We're not going to slaughter anything on the air. We just love getting stuff from you guys. Don't forget also to check out the new content from the THN Love Slaves over at TwoHeadedNerd.com including A New Girl Meets Nerd featuring my wife trying to play Assassin's Creed 3 Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> and lightning round reviews from Aaron Myers who is not fired and I want him to know I respect his opinions.
1: We respect his stupid opinions. I
0: respect your dumb, ill-informed
1: opinions. (laughs) And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the 2 nerd.com web-exclusive NSFW audio blog. That stands for Not Safe for (laughs) The answer of the week. I was not going to say THN.com because that is not our website.
0: That is not our website.
1: Xmas time is here again, nerds. So next week,
0: we'll be discussing the greatest
1: holiday comic stories of all time. That's Matt Bomb for you Taking the Christ out of Christmas That's how I do it Before we go It's my personal war on Christmas
0: Before we go Our weekly shout out Goes to Hector Macho Camacho Who passed away this week Wait he died? He died after being removed from life support After he was shot last Tuesday In Puerto Rico I mentioned him on the show just a couple weeks ago and then dude gets shot. I think it was just last week. I feel terrible. I feel that, man. Camacho was a total badass in the ring that never received the props he deserved and fought well past his prime with even considering returning to the ring at age 50. Total badass. Word to you, Hector, and it will always be macho time here in the ziggurat. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving.